Today, we are jumping into a one-part message called The God Who Sees Exactly What You Need. Now, I don't know how many of you guys grew up going to church in the 80s and 90s. If you did, just raise your hand real quick. You're an 80s or 90s church kid or person, adult at that time. So many of you were not. Most of the room did not raise their hand. So that means you missed a, an incredible time in church history, which I'm going to help you kind of catch up a little bit. I got some pictures to show you. Anybody in the 80s or 90s remember the flannel board Sunday school lessons? Just raise your hand if you remember that. There's only a few of us here in the room. What is this all about? Well, the teacher would have a board that had flannel on it. That's why they call it a flannel board. And there would be like a final Jesus and there'd be like a final donkey and they'd put the final Jesus on the final donkey and they'd act out the story for you as they taught the story. So I know you missed out on that one. So flannel boards were incredible. Then we had random huge chairs on stage. It's a little hard to see in this next picture, but up in the front, there are just these big chairs on the stage. And what would happen is the church staff would sit by the random big chairs on the stage. So during worship, myself and Pat and Pastor and some of the other staff, we would be sitting in these big random chairs and we'd watch the worship happen and we'd be looking at all of you. It was very awkward. And then uh, I would um, transition Pat and, and Andrew would transition and Andrew would go sit over, the, sit over there and we'd all watch the back of Pat's head while he did the announcements and then Pat would sit and you'd, they'd all be sitting there right now watching me do the message. Isn't that awesome? And so we had the big random chairs. Then another thing we have are the hymn books. Some of you guys remember hymn books. Now listen, I love hymns. We do hymns a lot here. They're incredible and powerful and awesome. But these books used to kind of just be sitting in the chairs or the pews in front of you. And you take it and you can see all the lyrics are kind of squashed in there. And then there's actual musical notes like all around it for the 0.5% of the people in the church that knew how to read music, right, <laughs> during the day. And so that was happening. But then we graduated from the hymnals to the overhead projector. You guys remember these days? Some of you guys are like, oh, I had that in high school. Yeah, but we had that in church. And we'd be right up near the front. And back in the day, Pastor Bavone would not only preach, but he would lead worship too. And so he'd be standing there next to the overhead projector, and he'd put the verse for the first song on. And then he'd take that off and put the chorus on. And then he'd put the verse on, and then we'd go to the bridge. And, then, and so he's like up here like singing and twirling stuff. And, no, he wasn't twirling anything. But, but I mean, it's just crazy all the different things he was doing. And, and then, of course, there was the random youth group kids sitting in the front row that when Pastor would turn his back was making shadow puppets on the overhead projector. Uh, I may have been that kid at times or not in my church. And then... The music, though. The music was incredible. So every season kind of had a theme. And if you were there, you'll remember this. There was the Irish theme. Do you remember the Irish theme? You'd walk into church and it was like, bing, 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 and you were like, who's step dancing today? Like, it was just so interesting. And then we had the, there was a, a whole, um, like, Calypso Caribbean theme. I, I promise this happened. Now, I need your help with this. The 930 was awful at this, and I told them, okay? I need you to clap a rhythm with me because we need to experience this. So here's the rhythm. It's a little off beat, okay? So it's like this. Can you do that with me? Try it. Ooh, you guys are way better. Wow. And then they'd sing like this. It is the cry of my heart to follow you. Right? We had this whole Caribbean theme going. Then we had the Jewish theme. There was like all these Jewish sounding songs. And so everyone, this, this claps released. You guys killed that, by the way. You are my clapping service. That's your new nickname. Now I need you to just do the, one of these. You ready? So we're going. Got it? Come with me. Come with me. All right. And then we'd sing like this. Jehovah Jireh. My provider, on and on and on. There were all these Jewish songs we'd sing. Now, as fun as all that was, the last song is the one I need you to think about. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. We're going to talk about that theme here today. Because the truth is we all have different types of needs, don't we? And often when we bring up needs or provision, we think finances, right? 
And that's very real and true, and many of us in the room are like, oh my gosh, I need God to come through and provide for me right now. That's very real, and what I'm going to say today applies to you if that's where you are. But man, provision is not just about finances, right? There are so many different needs that we need, that we have, that that we're hoping God's going to provide for. There, There are so many things in our lives that just feel like, I can't quite fix this, I can't really deal with that. This feels really overwhelming. I'll just give you some examples. I mean, one of them is just spiritual. We have spiritual needs. Sometimes we feel far from God. We feel like we're in a spiritual rut. We feel like the passion we once had for Jesus has sort of just dwindled a bit. For some of us, it's a physical thing. There's sickness in our life or family or loved one, pain. There's addiction. There's uh, just feeling debilitated, tired, not sleeping. Another area of our life is emotional. We're sad. We're angry. Maybe we're fearful, we're depressed. Maybe for us it's relational, it's a marriage struggle, it's a parenting issue. Maybe it's a a friendship at school or work or in our neighborhood or where we live. And so all these different needs start to arise in our lives. What happens when we feel like God isn't paying attention to those needs? What, what, What happens when it feels like God doesn't see our needs? Those needs then become incredibly overwhelming, don't they? I mean, even if you're here today and you do believe God sees what we need, it still feels like those needs can just kind of begin to take over in our lives. And so what should be downtime, fun time, carefree time, enjoyable time becomes filled with stress and anxiety. We start acting like we're not ourselves. We start taking out our anxiety and our stress on the people that are closest to us. I was listening to a podcast this week and the guy was saying, hey, here's an idea. What if instead of taking out our stress on those who are closest to us, we actually treated those people the best? Not that we want to take our stress out on anybody else, but isn't it funny how those that are closest and nearest to us and dearest to us, we sometimes treat the worst. Why? Because we're overwhelmed with so many needs. What do we do with those needs? Here's what I want you to know. God does not want you and I to be overwhelmed by our needs. He doesn't want us looking over our shoulder. He doesn't want us stressed about it. He doesn't want us losing sleep over this stuff. And I'm preaching to my own soul here today as much as I am anybody else. But think about it. Parents in the room, you would never want your kids to be stressed over the issues of their life and the needs that they have. Silly example. Okay, When Cade, my oldest, who's 17 now, was 13, we went to the movies. And we walked into the movies, and he's like, Dad, I want some popcorn. We got him the biggest popcorn thing we could find. And we go to the movie theater, and he's sitting there. And within about 0.87 seconds of him sitting down, the whole popcorn thing was upside down on the floor with popcorn absolutely everywhere. And I'll never forget the look he gave me. He just kind of looked up at me like, uh-oh, with a slight smirk. And it was kind of annoying, the smirk part. You know, because I'm like, oh, no. And so he looks up at me. Instantly, our eyes lock. And I said, but let's go out to the lobby. We're going to get ourselves another popcorn. We walk out there. I get him another popcorn. Actually, the, the place was incredible. They didn't charge us the $18 for the popcorn. They, they were like, oh, this happens, you know, so they gave us a new thing of popcorn. Within 0.78 seconds of him having the popcorn in his hand again, it was flipped upside down and all over the lobby floor. And guess what happened? He looked up at me again. Same little uh-oh smirk face. Now, fast forward four years. He's 17 now. And we're going to the movies. And he's bringing his girlfriend. And so I bring up the popcorn story. And I start to make fun of him for the popcorn story. And we're laughing about it. We're talking all about it. We get some popcorn out in the lobby, me, him, and his girlfriend. And we're about five, ten minutes late into the movie now because it took forever. As we're walking in, I have a tray of about five popcorns for everybody in the theater. Well, not everybody in the theater, just our people. I'm like, here, man, nice to meet you. Here's your popcorn. No, it was just for our people. And so as I'm coming in, we're going to see 
A Quiet Place, part two. <laughs> quiet movie. There's no sound in this movie. As I'm stepping up the stairs and the people behind me are annoyed and I'm trying to be very careful, all of a sudden, without me noticing, the popcorn begins to move precariously on the tray and Kate starts to go, dad, 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 popcorn. Next thing I know, I did exactly what he did four <laughs> years ago. We're in a quiet place part two. I'm on the floor in the fetal position, hysterically laughing, not making a noise. My son has buried his face in the seat because it's a quiet place. You can't be loud here, right? But what I love is, that what I did for him when he was 13, he did for me when I was 43. <laughs> that reassuring look of, I got this. I got this. Here's what I want you to think about. There's spilled popcorn in all of our lives. There's a mess around all of us. And I love that my son looked at me with that look of, oops, and a little smirk. I need some help, Dad. And I love that I didn't look back at him and scream at him for the mess. I didn't look back at him and say, well, now what are we going to do? I knew exactly what to do and took care of it. He did the same for me when I was 43, and I made my own mess. See, God's heart for you and me is not that we would look to anywhere else, that we would try to figure it out ourselves. Kay didn't climb under, start cleaning up himself, and try to eat the stuff off the floor, right? That's what we do so often. God's just got a heart, the heart of a good father, a good father. Maybe your father wasn't good, but he's got the heart of a good father who loves you and says, man, I can handle this. I can handle the mess. Maybe you made the mess. Maybe somebody else made the mess. But I can handle this mess. Our peace and our joy and our testimony are on the line as we walk through these trials and we struggle. And we turn from maybe our attention being on God. And we take our eyes off Jesus. Our, our peace, that, you know that peace that's supposed to fill us? And our joy, that joy that's supposed to overwhelm us and that testimony, that story that God is writing through each of our lives that's supposed to draw people to him in the midst of our difficulty as people watch us, like all of that is on the line when we allow our needs to overwhelm us, when we just take our eyes off the one who carries us so willingly, so faithfully, if we let him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, everything I'm saying to all the Christians in the room is true to you as well. Everything I'm saying to you at home, true, true to you as it is to anybody else because all of this is offered in Jesus. And we're gonna see some things as we look at an Old Testament story. We're gonna see a lot about Jesus today in the middle of that story. So if you come to discover more about Jesus today, forgiveness, mercy, salvation, then man, you're in the right place. If you come today with a great need, you're in the right place. Now the story we're gonna look at is new to some of you but it's familiar to others. And my prayer is as we dig deep into the story that you'll see and learn some things maybe you've never seen or learned before. So Genesis 22, verse one says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Everybody say tested. I want you to say it again. All right. We need to know that this is a test, that what God is about to call Abraham to do, and many of you know the spoiler on this, what God's about to call Abraham to do, he's not expecting him to follow through on. Now, that's really important that you and I know this because it tells us something about the character of God. It tells us something about the character of God. We're going to learn what that test is. We're going to see how it all works. But maybe you're here saying, why does God test us, though? Like, what's the point of it all? And, and where is he during the test? Well, look at what Alexander McLaren said. Read this with me. God's proving or his testing does not mean that he stands by watching how his child will behave. He helps us to sustain the trial to which he subjects us. God's strength is right there with you and me in the midst of what we're going through. And I love this next part even more because you might be saying, but why test us? The motive of his proving or testing 
is that we may be, that they may be, we may be strengthened. He puts us into his gymnasium to improve our physique. If we stand the trial, our faith is increased. That's a great thing. Our faith grows when we stand the trial. But listen to this next part. If we fall, we learn self-distrust and closer clinging to him. That's how good God is to us, everybody. Even when we fail the test, he's still teaching us, come closer, come nearer, come closer to me. Now, there are times in all our lives we, we pass the test and our faith grows and we're stronger, we're ready for the next thing that might come our way with greater faith. But I love that God is so good to just say, you know what, even if you fail it, I'm still just drawing you closer. I'm still using the failings even for good. The next part, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Everybody say Moriah. That's going to be important in a few minutes. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, before we can go on, can you think of another son, an only son, who was loved by his father that was sacrificed? Now, as I said before, God's not going to call Abraham to go through with this. This is a test. But there was another son. His name was Jesus, who was sacrificed. So we're in the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament thousands of years before Jesus comes, and we're already hearing about a Savior, one who loves us, one who might just give his life for us in this picture of Abraham and Isaac. But let's get back to Abraham. Guys, on a physical level, I cannot fathom what Abraham was feeling. Like, I can't fathom thinking about sacrificing one of my children like Abraham had to ponder here in this test. And what's interesting is back in Abraham's day, this was something that was done pretty frequently, not not, not by the true God, but by false gods. People believed false gods wanted their children to be sacrificed to appease or please. And so this whole idea even sets God apart. But here's Abraham suddenly finding himself in the middle of an intense situation. He has a great need, and it would appear that his son is about to be lost. Let me remind you a couple of things about this son. This son was a miracle. You guys remember that story? Abraham and Sarah can't have kids. They're way past childbearing age. And here comes God on the scene and he moves and a great miracle happens. So here is Isaac. And this is a miracle that this has happened. It's not like Abraham and Sarah could just go have another child. No, this was it. And let's remember something else about Isaac. He was to be a piece to God's huge promise in Abraham's life, right? He was going to be the beginning of this incredible line of descendants that God would make a great nation. So if I'm Abraham and if you're Abraham, here's what we're probably thinking as God tells us to go and do this. God... This was a miracle. We waited for Isaac so long. Why would you ask this? God, if he's taken, how will this great promise come to be that you've given me about becoming a great nation? All of this would be undone. And sometimes we do the same, don't we? We think about all the things that could go wrong and may go wrong, and if this doesn't, and if that doesn't, and we think about all that stuff. And just like I would guess Abraham was feeling in this exact time as well. And this great need was sprung on him quickly. Some of you have had a great need suddenly sprung upon you. Abraham's just living his day, and all of a sudden, wow, he's thrust into this. Some of us, were just living our day, living our week, living our year, and suddenly physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial need just blew up. That's right where we are. We know maybe what Abraham's feeling to a degree. So God told Abraham to go to the region of Moriah. Everybody say Moriah again. Good job. Nobody said Mariah again. She said Mariah. Good job there. Mariah has a few different meetings. To see. Everybody say to see. God is teacher. Everybody say God is teacher. God is provider. Everybody say God is provider. 
Isn't it interesting that the land Abraham is called to go to is known by these names? To see God is teacher, God is provider. I gotta tell you guys, no matter what literal land you are walking, your challenge through right now, written all over Abraham's entire experience was, wait, this is a God who sees. This is a God who teaches. This is a God who provides. I would love for God to just write that over you today, to write that over all of our situations today. This is a God who sees. This is a God who teaches. This is a God who provides. Let's continue on in verse three. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, listen to what he says. This is really important. You ready? Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Everybody say, we will come back to you. Isn't that interesting? Abraham is talking with some pretty big faith right here. We're going to go worship. And he doesn't say, I'm going to come back to you. He says, we're going to go worship, and we will come back to you. Abraham believed something about God. He believed he was good. He believed his promise was true. He believed he was able. He believed he could do the impossible. I don't know if he was thinking at the moment that maybe God would rise Isaac back from the dead or if he would provide in some other way, but here is some powerful faith. You know, I don't think I told this story before, but when I was in the hospital very close to death, a doctor walked through the hallway right outside my room, looked in my room, and looked at a nurse also in the hallway and said, he's not going to make it. And the nurse looked back to the doctor and said, he's already healed. She was talking with some Abraham faith right there, wasn't she? She saw that God could just do the impossible in the midst of a really challenging situation. And so Abraham is, is walking with that great faith. We will come back. And it says in verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Dad's in the room. Can we just think about this for a minute? Imagine placing this wood on your child for this thing that it seems God's called you to that just seems so out of character. But can we also take it a step further and think about another person that once one day would carry some wood on them to be sacrificed? I think about Jesus. I think about them placing the cross on him that he had to carry to the place they would crucify him in, in your place and in my place. Again, we have a, a beautiful picture right here in the beginning of, of the Bible of what Jesus would come and do. It says this, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So Abraham's carrying the knife and he's carrying probably a stick with some fire already going on it. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, I'm sorry, says to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I was just going to dad. I don't know if you noticed, but God called us to a sacrifice here, and I'm not seeing a sacrifice here. And Abraham answered in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. What's Abraham saying? Isaac, God sees exactly what we need. God sees exactly what we need. And the two of them, it says in the next part, went on together. This is so important. The two of them went on together. Think about it. Isaac has no clue what's going on, how God's going to provide. And I, we have to get this image out of our head that Isaac's like this little kid at this point. He's not. He's probably about 18 years old. He's bigger, right? He, he could fight his dad. Remember, his dad's old. Not, you know, this isn't like Cade fighting me. I'm certainly jacked and, and can easily overpower him. But no, no. If Cade didn't want to get sacrificed, Cade's not. Like, he's going to do what he's got to do to take me down, right? 
And, and, and Abraham's how many years older than me? And so here's Isaac in some way trusting and surrendering both God and his dad and saying, I'm going to go on. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to go on. And here's Abraham knowing what this initial call was on this area of his life going, I'm going to go on. I just think it's so interesting that they went on. They went on. See, some of us, listen, need to go on. We just need to go on. Some of us need to go on in the marriage. Take another step. Some of you are saying, oh, no, 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 that's, that's done. I did everything I could in the marriage. The door was shut, and it is slammed, and it's gone. Okay, well, now it's time to go on then, right? What's the next step? Some of us need to go on and trusting in God with our finances. Some of us need to go on and surrendering our will to his will. But I love that they go on. I was at the gym the other day, and I heard this really jacked guy talking to a not-so-jacked guy. And the really jacked guy was telling the not-so-jacked guy some advice. And one of the things he said was, so much of this is about simply showing up. Consistency. Going on. Some of us, maybe it's in our spiritual life, just feel dried up, feel passionless. I will go on. I will continue on. I'm going to show up. It may feel a little bit dry at first. I don't know about anybody else. I don't love, I'm not running through the gym door like, let's work out. Like, no, that, that first couple of whatevers is like, oh, yeah. I will go on, right? I will go on. Some of us need to just keep going on. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. If I am Abraham, I am going, God, you got to do something here. God, you got to provide here. The God who sees, God, the God who teaches, the God who provides, you have to show up right here. Because if I'm Abraham, I can't fathom that moment. Next part. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Here's this gracious God that stands out from all the false gods that that people believed required child sacrifice back in the day. And here's a God saying, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you to, to sacrifice that child. In fact, one day, I will sacrifice my child to account for the sins of the world. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And this is where we get our name, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. This is where we get that name, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. In the Hebrew, it says Yahweh Yireh. In the King James, it translates it to Jehovah Jireh. And in most of the modern translations, it comes out simply as the Lord will provide. And Tony Evans talks about how the root word for Jireh literally means to see. And yet when you put Jehovah Jireh together, it means to provide. And so the provision comes from the seeing. God sees what we need and he provides, right? And he doesn't just see what we need. He sees it before we even know we need it. He pre-sees it. He has a pre-vision. And from his pre-vision comes our provision. Spiritually, relationally, emotionally, financially, physically. God sees exactly what you need. 
The angel of the Lord then reaffirms the, reaffirms the promise that Abraham will become a great nation. Then it says in verse 19, Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together. Everybody say, they set off together. Not just Abraham and his servants, but Abraham and Isaac and his servants. They set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Powerful provision of God. Now some of you guys are like, but Doug, this is all so neat and pretty. Like it's all tied up so nice. Abraham got a happy ending, and I feel like I haven't gotten a happy ending. Well, can I tell you a little bit for a minute about Abraham, both before and after this situation, he didn't always get the happy ending. He didn't always get everything tied up in a bow. Often because of his own decisions and some of the decisions of others in his life, there was a lot of times where he went through real difficulty in some of the areas we're talking about today. But at the end of the day, he said, wait, but this is the provider. I know this provider. I know this one. And much like we read earlier, whether Abraham passed the test throughout his lifetime or failed the test, God always used it. God always drew him closer or grew his faith. It was one or the other, and the same is true for you and for me. But this was a test. God did not require Abraham sacrifice his son, but God would one day sacrifice his perfect, pure son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to be placed in a grave, and then to rise back from the dead. And if you doubt that rising back from the dead part, then, man, be a part of our series the next 10 weeks as we jump in and we talk about all the reasons we know that Jesus can be trusted. Sometime before Jesus was placed on that cross, thousands of years after Abraham's story, Jesus said something powerful that I want to talk about for a second. Jesus was talking about how there were these religious leaders and they would like always pray to try to get attention. Like they'd get up on the stage and, and, or you know, get up on the, in the corner and, they, and they'd stand up where everybody could see them and they'd say these long, very you know, beautiful sounding prayers. But there was nothing on the inside. It was dry, it was empty, it was meaningless. And Jesus said this. He said, do not be like them. Don't be like those guys who, who pray these prayers that sound all pretty and stuff, but they don't really mean it. But then he said this. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. Everybody say, my heavenly father knows exactly what I need before I even ask him. But there's still some tension in that too, right? It's like, but there have been times I've needed something and I've asked and I haven't gotten it. Well, let me talk about this for a second. You see, sometimes what we think we need and what we actually need are two very different things. Sometimes what we actually think we need and, and what we end up getting are, are, wow, like this is, I asked for this, I got that. But that's the thing about God is he's always giving us what we actually need. And often in life, I think we look at circumstances and if we could just choose on the front side of like what I choose to walk through this, we would say no, but we look back and say on the backside, like as painful as that was and as difficult that was, as that was, like I'm so thankful it happened. Perfect example, me in the hospital for 63 days. I, was, I would have never chosen that. I've told you before, when they brought the ambulance to my house and, and put me in there, I, I told my kids, I'll be back tomorrow, I'll be back this week. Not gonna be a big deal. But looking back, and seeing all the ways that God used it and all the things that he did, I'm so thankful to have gone through all of that because I've seen God do so much. I feel closer to him. I feel nearer to him. I've seen a huge miracle. God's done something so powerful. And so though I never would have chosen that, I never would have thought I needed that, God allowed it and used it mightily. 
I've actually been talking with a Christian counselor just about what I've been through. He's trying to help me unpack some of the emotions, some of the trauma I still deal with and feel on an emotional level. And we have been talking through all that. And, and I, I don't like to be alone right now. So I'm so glad you all came today. <laughs> but no, I don't like to be alone. And, and I, I thought for a while it was because when I was alone, I would think about like unpleasant things or some of the things that happened to me and thoughts would just creep back in my head. And so I thought that was it. And that's a part of it. But I just realized a few weeks ago, like, it's not just that. It's that I was alone for those 63 days. You know, in this unprecedented time of where I couldn't have all kinds of visitors and everything. And I'm, I'm so thankful for, for people like Keith and April that I've talked about before that, you know, would come and visit. Or so many of you guys would text or do whatever you could. My wife just beating the doors down to get in to see me. And she was able to come in a few times. So thankful for all that. I'm thankful for the cleaning lady. I was just like, hey, you want the Super Bowl? Like, we, you know, hang out, get some nachos or something. I mean, it was just like... Alone in that time, it was, it was something that's it's still triggering to me. And as I was talking with my counselor about this, he said, Doug, were you really alone, though? And I said, no, of course not. Like, God was with me. Like, I know he was with me. I felt him with me. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God was with me through that time. And he said, maybe one of the things God's doing in you through all this, and, and, and even on this side of it, is just trying to drive deeper and deeper into you. That he is always with you. Doug, you know that theologically. You've studied this. You've gone through the school. And you've preached messages on this. But maybe he's trying to deep down inside you in a very experiential way prove to you how much he's with you, how much he walks with you through everything that you go through. That you're not alone. You're never alone alone. And God knew, I think, that there were many things he was going to do through this, but, but that was one of the things. I mean, my whole life, I've prayed, God, I want to feel closer to you. I want to be near you. I remember as a, a younger man, because I'm still very young, but I remember as a younger man <laughs> reading about a, a hero of the Christian faith who hundreds of years ago was in prison for his faith, and, and in prison, he, he talked about how he felt so close to God there. He, he actually thought about praying that he'd be able to stay in prison longer, because he felt the presence of God in such a real, tangible way. And my whole life, I've said, man, I want to know the presence of God. I want to know him and, and, and feel and experience him and be closer to him than ever before. And it's definitely one of the things God's accomplished and is accomplishing throughout all that I've walked through. Sometimes we, we think we just need a, a little break, you know? Like, all right, guys, need some, like, clear sailing for a while. Things have been a little nutty. We have a friend recently who said to Kelly and I, like, you guys should... Give boredom a try, you know? You guys are kind of go, doing a lot here. And so this past week, I'm thinking, all right, we're just a little, you know, let's put the car in neutral, just coast for a little bit, just hopefully avoid anything too crazy. And turns out my wife, some health issues kicked up in her, and she ended up in the hospital Tuesday to Friday, just working through some issues with her heart. She's had kind of a history with issues with that. And they're trying to figure out a whole bunch. We so appreciate your continued prayers for that. And thank you for so many who were praying. But you know, as we're walking through that, and it's like, God, here we are again. Like, why? Well, I can tell you a few reasons why. I can tell you that literally every person that walked into Kelly's room heard about the miracle God did for us. Like, doctors were coming in. She's hold, I, call, I walk in one day. She's holding the doctor's hand, and they're crying together. God, Kelly's sharing what God's done. People never would have heard it. She's talking with the nurses. Like, every person that came in, there was one lady that kept coming back, one nurse. She just kept coming back. She was just, like, hanging out with Kelly, and Kelly's telling her more of the story. And We got to pray with Kelly's roommate a 
couple times. We got to pray with Kelly's roommate's daughter. Like God working in the midst of all that weakness and all that hardship and all that difficulty. And he's using it all. And you know, one of the things that Kelly and I worry about the most throughout all this is our kids. And I always want our kids to be okay. They've walked through so much. And I can see God even using that. This week, one of my son's friends had a health crisis. And he knew exactly what to do. He was with her. And he knew exactly what to do, how to handle it, how to be there for her, how to help her navigate an awfully horrible, scary situation that just was sprung upon him. And that's because he's walked it already. He's seen me be that for Kelly and Kelly be that for me and my kids have been that for us. And you see how God sees exactly what we need and prepares us in the exact ways we need to be prepared. And he's working mightily, even when we're not convinced that he sees what we're going through. One of the great comforts I take in life is knowing that God sees what I walk through and can relate to it. That Jesus has suffered in the ways that I've suffered, and he gets that. That means so much to me. And so I hope what you're seeing here today and what I hope you will have kind of going through your mind this week is this. You can trust the God who sees exactly what you need. You can trust the God who sees it. He sees it so clearly, and he's prepared to do whatever it takes to carry you, to walk with you, to empower you. And when we fail and when we don't pass the test, he's still pulling us close to himself. Man, there's popcorn on the floor of our lives, isn't there? There's a mess all around us. And I hope, like Cade, you'll look to the one who could do something about it. And I hope there'll be a little smirk on your face as you do, saying, oh God, I know you have me. If you're a follower of Jesus, I pray today that you would bring a physical need, emotional need, spiritual need, relational need, financial need to Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray you would join us in doing that. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I also pray that you would think about looking to him. You would think about asking him to be your savior. You would think about saying, wow, what he did on the cross in my place, the the heavenly father giving up his son so that I could find life. I want to know this savior. I want to walk with the savior. I want to feel and experience and walk through life knowing this God. If you want that, then I pray that you'll pray with me in just a minute. But how I want to close the message today is I want to just read something over you guys. And if we'll live out what Jesus is about to tell us to live out, then man, we're going to walk in some tremendous supernatural peace and joy. And our testimony is going to shine brightly. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. We're not going to read this together. I want to speak it almost over you guys. I want the words of Jesus to just hit you on a whole different level today. Please don't tune out. Service isn't over yet. I believe you need to hear and experience what Jesus wants to say to you. Verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Don't tune out on me. Keep listening. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Keep listening. Keep listening. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Let me say that again. Your heavenly Father knows, he sees, that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You can trust the God who sees exactly what you need. Let's pray. God, we come to you today so thankful, Lord, that you see it, you get it, that you're there, that you're accomplishing great, powerful, mighty, awesome things. And God, we bring you our physical stuff, our relational stuff, our spiritual stuff, our emotional stuff, our financial stuff. God, you are Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides the one who sees, the one whose prevision leads to our provision. And God, we just ask you for help today. I pray that everybody in the crowd, everybody listening at home today, that God, like my son Cade, they'll just kind of look up. Look up with that little smirk of, I know you've got me, Dad. If you're ready to take a step today, if you're ready to to keep going on like Isaac and Abraham did, then I encourage you right now to get specific with God and bring him a need. Bring him many needs. God, it's my my friend's sickness. It's my my kid's marriage. It's my friend at school, their their emotional state. It's, It's my own depression. It's my own financial need. Whatever it might be, you just bring that to the Lord. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to look to him today, please pray with me now. You can say something like this, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that even when I fall, even when I fail, you're still drawing me closer to you. Thank you for this gift of salvation. 